the 19th century Presbyterian minister James W. Alexander wrote, The example of a father is acknowledged to be all-important. The stream must not be expected to rise higher than the fountain. The Christian householder will feel himself constrained to say, I am leading my family in solemn addresses to God. What manner of man should I be? How wise, holy, and exemplary. This undoubtedly has been in cases innumerable the direct operation of family worship on the Father. As we know that worldly men and inconsistent professors are deterred from performing this duty by the consciousness of a discrepancy between their life and any acts of devotion. So, humble Christians are led by the same comparison to be more circumspect and to order their ways in such a manner as may edify their dependents. There cannot be too many motives to a holy life, nor too many safeguards to parental example. Establish the worship of God in any house, and you erect around it a new barrier against the eruption of the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is the Reformed Faith and Family Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Reformed Faith and Family Podcast. We are your hosts, Caleb and Lindsay Stomberg. Hello, I am so glad to be here today and we are going to be talking about family worship in this episode number seven, aren't we? Yes, we are. And this, um, it was going to be the first time that we directly have uh, an episode dedicated to family worship, but I can pretty much guarantee you it's not going to be a last. This is a big part uh, of of how families are reformed, how they, and by reformed, I don't just mean reformed by doctrine, but, but how they are reshaped, how they are conformed to Christ, how they, how we raise the next generation. So this is a massive piece of that puzzle that is going to be a reoccurring theme. Now, we really thought this would be a natural progression uh, as we went from, you know, a couple of weeks ago talking about what kind of things needed to be present in a church for you to really feel like it's a church you could invest in, to be a part of, to grow in, a church that'd be, you know, safe and beneficial for your family. Uh, then from there to, to kind of the model that we see as a, as the, um, ideal model in the church, you know, an intergenerational family integrated type model. And then from there uh, to to an episode dealing with family worship is just such a natural progression because this is really where things build. If, you'd, if it's not happening in the home, then you are going to have a very hard time for to make any of this real outside of the home. Yeah, I agree. And I do want to say before we jump into this meaty topic, to our faithful listeners, for one, we appreciate that you've uh, stuck with us for this long. And we would ask that if you are liking what we're putting out there, if you would, wouldn't mind just leaving a five-star review on your podcast platform that you're listening to us on, we would really appreciate that uh, when you share the podcast or share articles from our blog that gets the word out about our mission and what we're doing out on social media. And we really value your feedback and your support there. So I guess if, if we're going to be talking about family worship, um, we ought not take for granted that everybody is familiar with that term, uh, especially for the fact that you and I, as a, when we were adults before we had ever heard that term, um, and um, it's not someone that's really common now. It's really, 
a a lost art, a lost discipline in the home. And I think it's you know going to be largely responsible for the state of where we see things in most churches and in most homes. It took me a while to get over the name. Just family worship to me sounded like idolizing the family or something weird. I just grew up being used to the term family devotions. Yeah, yeah. And so it's family worship is definitely not the worship of the family. It is the worship that the family gives to God in the home. Yeah. So it's really, it comes out of having a godly home. And I'm sure that we'll devote some time, you know, later on uh, to a godly home and, and some different markers of that and ways to to build on that. But family worship is really kind of a, a key factor of that. It's It's how the family worships God in the home. And this is a discipline, uh, practicing family worship in the home is a discipline that goes back throughout history. So right, right. And it, it was really, uh, it, it's been essential to the church from the beginning. It's been essential to God's people since um, times of ancient Israel, uh, this kind of practice. So when, when we're talking about uh, family worship, we're really kind of looking at the family in some ways as operating like a small church. Now, we're not talking to the point of, you know, church discipline and, you know, exercising the ordinances and those kind of things. But there is a structure, an authority structure in the home. There's discipleship in the home. There's intentional teaching uh, and, and raising up of the next generation. All those things are happening in the home. That that fathers, uh, the ideal is that fathers uh, would be, as the spiritual heads of the household, would be leading their families regularly in the reading of the Bible, in praying to God, in singing songs, psalms, and spiritual songs to God, in in catechizing their children and and washing their wives with with the word to 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 present them as pure before Christ. So all those kind of things is is what we're talking about with with family worship in a ways that the family acts as as a basic building block of the church. And you know as Lindsay said that you know a lot of us might be more familiar with the term of like family devotions and I'm sure many of our listeners, uh, at least some of the older ones, uh, remember growing up and having parents use uh, the, our daily bread, um, those little um, devotionals. Is that purely Baptist? I don't know if the other denominations use that or if that's a Baptist that, thing. That may be just Baptist. Okay. Thing. But it, it, uh, if you're not familiar with our daily bread, it had a daily Bible readings and some discussion to go over it. Uh, and it was a really com- most or many Baptist churches at least gave them out to the congregation uh, as, as someone that it was in, to inspire or to encourage families or individuals to kind of be in the word. Uh, and, and there was a lot of, lot of the uh, devotional kind of things were, were pretty fluffy and, and very light and, and not always maybe engaged to the point where you would, you would hope, but it definitely um, was used by God in a lot of ways. And something that was pretty common in my household growing up that we would have family devotions. That we would we would sit, um, whether it was around the table or around on you know, around couches in the living room, and and dad would read from our daily bread, you know, and then would pray. And and I was always, I mean, I was thankful for that. But it and that that really is um, maybe a remnant we could call it a remnant of family worship uh, as was practiced uh, in in the homes in throughout Christian history. Um, but really with family worship, we're talking about something that goes even beyond that. So we're thankful for those, for both of our homes growing up that where our parents did lead, our, lead the families in, in family devotions and do some of those things. So 
praying as a family or reading the word together wasn't completely foreign to us, but it, it definitely wasn't to the degree that has been practiced in the history of the church or things that were expected in Christian homes in the, in the history of the church. And really, family worship boils down at its simplest point to, you know, to three basic things, that it, it is reading the word together, uh, it is praying together, and it is sing, singing songs of worship to God. Those are really the three basic elements, and then there's a whole lot of tools and things you can use to help with that. And where the reading the Bible and prayer sounds normal, and it could be intimidating, but uh, it's it's singing that tends to get people. And so we're going to talk about some tips about how to, if you're, if you don't feel like you're a singer um, or you can't play an instrument, keep, stick with us because as we talk about this and flesh this out at the, um, towards the end, we're going to talk about tips for people getting started and how to, how to do this in your home. Sure. Yeah. And just want to kind of make mention, I guess, a little caveat up front that we are well aware that there are homes there. There's, there's uh, families within our own church where there isn't a, a Christian father in the home. Um, so we, we will talk, and, and most of the time we're going to use language of, of the father's role as spiritual head of the family to do these things. But when, when there isn't a Christian father in the home, it is, it is perfectly acceptable. It, it might be not ideal, and it might be a burden that should not be placed on, on Christian mothers, but uh, in that time, then mothers do and and need to step up and and do a lot of these things and seek some some help and support from men in the church. Um, but the, we we recognize that there are homes where that that's what happens. There are Christian families where the mom is the spiritual leader. Um, and again, that's not ideal. It's not how God designed it. But we live in a fallen world, and we need to be real about that. So we um, whether it's today or another time as we discuss these kind of issues. We'll try to remember to even give some tips for those moms who are trying to desperately to raise their kids in a Christian environment because they have the, you know, there's, there's a hard thing stacked against them. You know, the statistically, if the father is leading in the home and the father is going to church, the father sings in church. If the father does all these, the basics of the Christian faith in and around his family, statistically that has a, a much greater effect on the children than even when the mom does it but that's not always where things are at well it's something i was going to throw in there as well because you mentioned it uh, earlier in what you were saying and i thought that's a really good point to bring up is because there are so many families that aren't attending church anymore uh, they have stopped attending church and they whether they were burned in church or whatever they feel like if they just do family worship and they're their own small church, that that's good enough. And you are not going to hear us affirm that in this episode or any other episode because the church is vital to the Christian life and you need to get you and your family to church if you have not been doing so. Definitely. If you are not a part of a church, um, there might be some, some qualifications and some extreme cases for a limited amount of time. But in almost every case, and I doubt you are the exception, if you are not a part of a church, you are not bringing your family to church, you are not getting to church yourself, then you are in sin. We are commanded not to forsake the gathering of the saints. That is, that is something that's needed and essential to the Christian life. We are not designed to do this by ourselves, even if, if that means as, as a family. We're not designed as, 
as just families uh, isolated one from another to do that. So uh, it, you're probably not going to be the exception. So yeah, we don't want to we don't want to say it that way that this is a something that can be done instead of church. Um, but this is something that is vital to the family, vital to the home, and vital to the health of the church. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Well, let's talk a little bit about the history of family worship. Um, I think everybody knows about, you know, Deuteronomy 6. We've already stated that in a lot of our pod- previous podcasts. but And, and we will again. <laughs> you know, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the God, Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength. Um or heart and mind and strength. You know, there's four in Matthew and there's three in Deuteronomy. <laughs> and I always, and, and you know, we have the KJV, the new KJV, the NIV, the ESV, and the NASB all messed up. You know, it's all like all mangled we, together. I know we have like our own translation that combines all of them. You know, I really should have studied Hebrew better and kept <laughs> up with it more than I did. Uh, Cause then I could just read the Hebrew and then we wouldn't have to worry about that. Uh, but no, De- Deuteronomy 6 uh, definitely is a key passage for, for all these kind of discussions because it really does lay out the extensive nature that is expected in the Christ- in the, the believing home uh, to worship God, to talk about the things of God, to, to raise up that next generation always saturated with what God has done and what God requires of us. So that is going to be kind of central to, to a lot of these things. It is one of the most clear places in all of Scripture where we see this kind of command and example, uh, followed by uh, the fruit of that, where where your children will hear things, they will see things, and they will ask why and give you all those opportunities. You know, we we always want those opportunities. We we kind of we hope for those times where we'll be out in public and somebody will say, you know, we'll hear somebody reading from the Bible, so we can just say, hey, do you want to know what that means? Uh, and those things happen. Um, but most of the time, you need to be doing things in order to create those opportunities to to bring out those questions from your children or from people that you're around to why do we do what we do uh, and or what's the hope that we have. And the Lord may have uh, mandated that in Deuteronomy 6, but really that was going on before then from the beginning because how else would Adam and Eve have uh, disseminated the information given to them by God if they weren't teaching their children. Right. Yeah. Before the before official institutions, there was no other way. So if in a righteous it family all word line, of mouth. it had to come down from father to son for you know to instructing the family in in the things of God and in the fear of God, and frankly, without the help of institutions, uh, without the help of uh, you know the temple and in the law in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament. We see that a lot of families failed in this, and a lot of times you ended up with a with a, a society where there might be one faithful line going through, and but there you know God kept His remnant and kept some people faithful, but you know this is how they would have been doing that in the faithful lines throughout the Old Testament. You had a father teaching his family, leading them in the worship of God, to fear God, to know God, uh, and generation after generation to continue that faithfulness. When I was preparing for this episode and writing out some of my notes, I was really just impressed by the fact that, uh, I can't even remember where I was reading it, but they were just talking about how this was so commonplace in biblical times for the fathers to be teaching this to children, that that was the ideal way, that it it wasn't needed to have like a set of 
rules of how to do this in the Bible um, as a laid out set of principles because it was just common knowledge that this is the way that it should be done. Um, but then you and but now when we talk about now, it's so foreign to us that because we have information at our fingertips, fathers aren't communicating um, with their children on a regular basis because everybody is out of the home all at the same time. And so you're not, the togetherness has been um, just kind of done away with in the last century. Yeah. And this, I mean, that, that same principle extends even further than just passing down the, the fundamental essence of our faith. Um, you think in, in a, you know, a first century or before, or even, you know, in the first few centuries, or maybe up until the industrial revolution, probably more accurately, uh, the family was together, um, you know, whether it was running the farm or, you know, a blacksmith or whatever. Unless the father was off to war. <laughs> Unless the father was off <laughs> which happened uh, a lot. <laughs> to war, which, yeah, definitely did happen a lot. But the typical flow of life um, was that, you know, the, the economy was based in homes and the fathers and, and mothers were the ones who taught their children. So if the children were going to know how to read or, or anything else, it was going to come from the parents. And most often, when they, even when they didn't know how to read, their traditions and their stories and their culture was passed down in the home. And uh, this would have been right along with it. So they would have been learning a trade. Fathers would have been teaching their sons their trade, whether it was farming or something else. Uh, mothers would have been teaching their daughters how to, to, to bake, how to cook, how to take care of the home, how to take care of animals. All that kind of stuff that you need to know for life was passed down generation to generation in the home. So it was natural that, to expect that, the, that their faith, uh, a major part of life, was going to be handed down the same way, uh, just as we see in that Deuteronomy 6 passage. But that was the natural expectation for faith, for vocation, for life skills. Uh, basically, everything you need to know, you learned from your parents. You learned in the home from your parents and your extended family. Exactly. So we also see um, examples, so, you know, scripturally and Old Testament-wise, we kind of see different things where, you know, the faith was handed down or there was a faithful line because it was being talked, you know, through generation after generation. But we see this, uh, too, in the early church. Um, men such as Ignatius, Clement of Rome, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, and John Chrysostom, all those men referenced the need for Bible study and prayer in the home with the husband shepherding the family as their spiritual head and these kind of holy disciplines. Yeah, and going on from there, um, it, it, it was common then, and then you have the rise of Catholicism where the spiritual headship in the home was slowly being removed as everyone was required to look to the church and to the Pope as their authority. Yeah, and, and you think about it kind of in, in, in um, we will look at Catholicism as generally, especially as, as Reformed believers, and we go right to the way that they've, they distorted the gospel, the way that there was, there was things there, they um, undermined the authority of scripture. And so there's the things there that are, yes, are, are devastating. But in, in this realm, you know, think of like the godly home and the, the ways that the, the Catholic Church and the, and the practices, the way they developed, were just absolutely pivotal in, in losing this kind of sense. It's why I think that's another one of those things that had to be found again in the Reformation. And the Puritans were big on family worship and these kind of things because it, it's something that had been lost. Because if you have a situation where you concentrate all authority, all power, all ability to 
uh, interpret scripture or to speak anything on it, and you isolate that only with the priests, then the ch- people are completely dependent on the church for absolutely everything. They didn't have the word of God in their home. They weren't, most of the time, they weren't even taught the word of God in a language that they understood. So you had people that would go and hear a Latin mass that didn't speak Latin and then go home without the word of God in their hands. So there was no ability. It was, it was like it was robbed from them to be able for fathers to be able to disciple their children, that they were completely dependent on what the priest said. And when we mix that with the, the knowledge that they twisted the gospel in the way that they did, it's no wonder why there was such a, a pitiful state of the church and why there was such a need for the Reformation and such a longing for the gospel and for the word of God when it finally came to the people. Well, I've, I actually read a book um, a couple of months ago called Popes and Feminists, and I do not remember the author's name, so I'll have to put that in the show notes. Uh, but in that book, it was specifically addressing the feminist revolution that's going on now, but how there is nothing new under the sun and talking about how the, how families have been turned upside down now with that, that was actually going on before the Protestant Reformation happened. And there, she was basically comparing the fact that, um, women were taught like the highest ideal of a Christian was to be a nun. Men were taught that the highest ideal of a man or Christian man was to be a monk, which meant they didn't have families and that they were looking to the church as their spouse and however that works. And, um, and how that was a breakdown of the family then. And we see a break, that was the way the book was comparing it, but it just, this, that, goes into this as well, what we're talking about, just about how that time there was a breakdown of what, of the biblical ideal of a family. Yeah, there, there are a few different periods in history where you can see kind of devastating effects on the home. And, and definitely that's one of them from the history from the beginning of creation, where uh, faith was transferred generationally as parents taught their children um, to the point where the Catholic church pretty much made that impossible. Uh, and, and it was all invested into the priests as the only ones able to, to speak for God or to communicate the faith. And then often in a way that was so that people couldn't understand. So they really left at the mercy of the priest telling them what to do in, in every case of life. Um, you know, another thing that we're not going to talk about today, really, but you know, thing, there was also effects with kind of the industrial revolution and, um, way before the feminists really got in it, got their hands on things and really made a mess of stuff. Um, we had, we had dads that were already dropping the ball as they left the home for work and, um, family became something that they had to deal with sometimes, maybe a little bit in the evening or a little bit on a weekend. Uh, and they completely left everything else of the family, either to the moms or to the public schools uh, and then increasingly to Sunday schools and all the specialists like we talked about last week in the church and just the different the different times when there was kind of a, a revolution in the way families operated and just how, how negative the effects have been. And we go back to the Reformation and that was a major time of reclaiming positive things for the family in the godly home. And I think we're actually seeing a, a movement now. There is there is a, a growing movement and desire for godly homes to reclaim the family as the central hub of society and, and our life. And 
family worship is a major part of that. And there's a growing, I think, desire for that. But there's so much, um, so many questions about it and just uncertainty about how to do it and a lot of insecurity. You know, that, that quote from, from Alexander, um, James Alexander, was, uh, it was really good to, to, to do those things, to commit to do those things in the home really puts a spotlight on you. And as a man, uh, you're going to feel like a hypocrite really quick when you go to try and lead your family in family worship. And you know that you, you know, you lost your temper earlier that day, or you haven't spent the amount of time in prayer or in the, in God's word, um, in your own time. And then you sit down with your family and presume to lead them that that's either going to make you want to stop doing it or to do better in your own life. Yeah. So, uh, just to reiterate the timeline of history of family worship, we talked about how during the rise of Catholicism, uh, the spiritual headship in the home was removed and, and pointed towards the Catholic Church. But then during the Reformation, there was a revival of family worship. And then the Puritans carried on that biblical of principle of family worship in the home. And I know, Caleb, in the past, you have said you've heard that there was possible church discipline even for men who were not carrying out that duty. Yeah, I know I've heard it in, in some discussions about things with the Puritans or with um, on family worship or in some books with it. I don't remember exactly where. Okay. Um, but it was something that uh, that you could you could be disciplined as a father if you're if you weren't leading your family regularly in family worship. You could be disciplined as a father if you're, you know, if your family, your wife, your kids didn't know the 10 commandments or hadn't been catechized. There were I mean these are things now that we look at and and if families practice them, oh, well you must be just a super spiritual, super Christian kind of family. And this well, these are things that were the bare minimum in different points in church history, especially during the Puritans and and I don't think that's cuz they were being legalistic. I think they understood uh, these things need to happen in the home. They're, they're meant to start there, meant to build there. Um, and if they weren't there, then they were going to do something to try and turn that around. Now, what's that quote from Michael Foster? As the men go, so go the nation. So we have to raise men and women who love God. Yeah, it, it, it's um, not going to be a popular sentiment in, in much of society now, but it's absolutely true that you need to, to win the hearts of men and that they will lead families into better places and when families are in better places churches will be healthier and when churches are healthier the influ- the light of the gospel in society will be greater um yeah it, it's you know the trickle down kind of effect um whether or not you love reagan and his trickle down economics um the trickle down effect of, of winning the hearts of men and, and getting them to be faithful and to practice spiritual disciplines and to um, exercise things like family worship in their home, it does have a massive effect if they are faithful men of God in the home and faithful men of God in the culture. Um, and so then just to round out our history timeline of family worship, we really saw a decline of family worship around the middle of the 19th century with the rise of Sunday school, which we actually dug into uh, last week in our podcast episode specifically dealing with family integrated church models. Yeah, and you can see why. In for different reasons, but for also kind of it looks a little bit similar to when the when the Catholic Church, you know, they forced everybody to rely on the priests because they wouldn't even give them the Bible even in sermons in language they understood. They did it in Latin, even in when the people didn't speak Latin. Um, so they they forced them to be reliant on priests, 
uh, it was more subtle, you know, in the, in the last hundred years where it wasn't a being forced, but it was just offered. Well, here's, here's a Sunday school teacher to teach your children the basic stories of the Bible. And um, so parents became more hands-off. Yeah, parents became more hands-off. Here's, here's Sunday school teachers. Uh, here's youth leaders. Uh, here's, you know, discipleship pastors. Here, here's, you know, you name it. And there's specialty for that within within evangelicalism. And uh, the allure of that for parents just to be able to let go. Just like in Catholicism, where they were uh, just submitting to the authority of the priest and not on God's word because they didn't have it. In this case, the parents are often handing over their kids without submitting to God's word on this either. And, and I would say it's probably worse than it was even before the Reformation, because now there is no excuse. You have the word of God. Um, you're being taught the word of God in a language that you understand. I mean, so you can see plainly in scripture, you're not being taught well in a lot of places. And I think a lot of people, uh, you know, we want to, as hard as we want to be on some of the systems and, and, and the structures, we want to show grace because people haven't been taught well. The and, church's role is to equip parents to disciple their children. And the church has really neglected that duty. Yeah, many, many, many churches and, and the predominant evangelical culture is not to equip people so that they can do that in their homes and have godly homes and establish that and build. It is to teach people to be reliant on the church, to come to the church for for every bit of, of all the different kind of stuff, to, to be hands off on on raising that next generation. Uh, as much as they say different, that's the reality that you get when you have all those different things devoted to there. And, and, and people are being taught to rely on that and to call that good enough. And it's just had devastating results. I do think it was around the time of the hippies, if you look back at studies, that that was really when children began leaving the church um, in mass numbers. And then it grew throughout the last few decades. And, um, you know, churches really tried to force entertainment, programming, anything. It was with the intention of trying to keep the children from leaving the church, but it, it has had devastating effects. And I think that many families today, because they see that happening, they don't want their kids to do that, are starting to try and turn things around, maybe by looking not so much for new things to try to keep their children at church, but actually trying to look towards old systems and principles uh, to see if if those will work again because they see a biblical mandate for it. And even just the logical process of, okay, if we put a kid in a fun nursery, in a fun children's church, in a fun youth group, and then all of a sudden when they turn 18, we're just expecting them to sit in boring old big church, that's what we called it, um, then, you know, it, it makes sense why kids aren't entertained anymore. And so maybe... They go to churches that have the light shows and the pastor that just does 10-minute feel-good sermons, but then there's no meat there. And I do, I, I was listening to Michael Foster today. He, he has a new documentary on Canon Plus app. Uh, that's for his book, It's Good to Be a Man. Um, if you have the Canon Plus app, then it's good. But he was just talking about how the um, church is geared towards women and the the music, the um, sermons, it's all, it's not what men are interested in. So that's why you have this lopsided church demographic that's more women than men. Yeah, in the same way that, that's, you know, public, the public education system is built around educating girls, 
not boys. That's why one of the reasons that boys are so heavily medicated, because you're trying to force them in that kind of system to learn just like girls learn. And boys are different than girls. I don't care what these so-called scientists are saying these days. They, they have long ago proved they care nothing about facts. They care nothing about evidence. Um, I don't care what they say. It is plainly evident that boys and girls are different. So if you try and, and build something that's going to exclude what it means to be a boy or what it means to be a man, you are going to lose men. And as we said before, if you lose the men, you lose the families. Uh, and churches, like you said, uh, have largely been catered towards women. And conservative churches are uh, where they might have men in the, the official positions are usually men that are um, doing the bidding of their wives. So it's still run by women in a lot of churches, even where it's, you know, the men in, that are office holders. But I mean, you can really, it, it's pretty easy to see that if you farm out to the church, the discipleship of your children and the expectation that they will, the church will teach your children to value your faith and to want to stay in the faith, um, then you should expect them when, when people, when children grow up and they see how some things are empty there or so that then there's not fruit there or there's not meat there because the church has tried to keep up with the world for entertainment that when they see the church starting to to lose a little bit in their estimation that they walk away from the faith altogether because it was the church that was meant uh, to bring them and keep them yet if the children see in the home from their parents day by day from their parents from their grandparents from their great-grandparents if they live long enough to see it if they see generationally in these things that faith matters, that it, that it impacts life, that it, all of our life is built around this, and that we are Christians always, not just Sunday mornings, uh, they are so much more likely. Um, not because you know the parents are so wonderful, but that's how God works. That's how he has designed it. So kids are much more likely to take it seriously and to see it as important if it's important to their parents. And you simply will not think it's important to your parents if they never talk about it, you know, if they just drop you off and say, well, you need to go to these things, it really looks a lot like uh, you need to go do this so I can make myself feel better that I got you there. And, and that doesn't hold people. And it's no wonder kids are leaving. And as kids leave, there's people trying to figure out what's going on. And some people, you know, their causes them to, to give up on, on faith. Some people, you know, it causes, you know, they're deconstructing or or they're trying to find new and better methods to compete with culture. And other people are looking backward. Other people are looking to what was before and what kept families together, what kept generations faithful one after another in the past. And they're finding things like family worship. And orthodoxy is much better than deconstructing. I have yet to hear of anyone who came out and said they were deconstructing that didn't end up leaving the faith entirely. Yeah, it's it's kind of a holding pattern. It's just on your way out, and and I don't I don't know why they go through that. Even act like they're going to go through that process, or as though they're trying to stay Christian, because they're just trying to slowly get rid of everything and, and gain the courage to live their authentic life and be their authentic self. And um, that's garbage. It's it's hogwash. <laughs> if you want to know our opinions, um, so let's talk about the revival of family worship then. Uh, because that's what families are doing is they are looking backwards to see what families have done in history to disciple their children because they see the biblical mandate for that. 
Yeah, definitely. There, as we as we look back, there's things we get to discover, and you know, sometimes we we can be pleased to realize, okay, there's something that's still lasting. And we talked about, you know, the family devotions at the beginning. We mentioned that's that's as I would call a remnant of things in history like family worship, where parents taking seriously to raise the next generation to disciple them. So um, we are thankful for those. We are thankful for our families growing up where that was a practice. And we're not, we're not trying to disparage our parents in that. We're actually trying to build off the legacy they left us and then look for tools that even they didn't have yeah. um, because they weren't taught. And, and so much of that, we've got to give grace that um, not to just look down on people that didn't do things the way that we're discovering as we look back because people haven't been taught. We, we have uh, believed what we were told. We followed the system because um, we were told that's what you were supposed to do and that's how to be godly. And there's many people that have been faithful in that kind of system, but it, it's clearly just not working as a whole. So we are, we are not trying to disparage those ha- who have been before us or those who have lost these things. We're um, trying to recognize they weren't taught either, and we want to make sure that our kids are taught. <laughs> Well, you're going to see us talk a lot about this topic in particular on the Reform Faith and Family blog and podcast because this really is a passion of ours. And this is part, I mean, when we were talking about the mission behind doing this, the family worship was a key component of wanting, because we felt like we did not have the resources when we started out to know uh, what to get, how to start, what family worship even was supposed to look like. And we just kind of hodgepodged it together over the years. Um, and thankfully, there's a lot more resources out there now. But we want to help you if you're trying to get started as a, re- a Reformed Christian, trying to explore Orthodox faith and practice. We want to help give you those tools as you're trying to do these things in your family. Yeah, we want to give tools to those who are looking for tools. And we want to take away excuses for those who might make excuses. Yeah, that's Um, a good point. You know, it can be intimidating, but, you know, dads, I want to give you a kick in the rear if you need it. Uh, This, this is on you. This, this is something that you are commanded to. This falls on you. You will give an account for how well you led your family, for how well you discipled your family. You will be held to count for that. The, The blood of your children and your wife will be on your hands if you were not faithful to lead them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So I, I don't want to overstate that to say that you have to do that perfectly, but if you are not doing this and laboring and, and diligently seeking after this and trying to become more faithful, you will be held accountable for that. So that if that's a kick you need, then that's a kick I'll give. Uh, this isn't something you can really deny. And, and as we look at just the evidence of it, as we said, that as as the men go, so goes the family, and so goes the nation. Um, that you will have an outsized influence on your children. So that's not taking anything away from from faithful mothers, from from godly women, prayer warriors, and and faithful to to, to the scriptures and to be uh, in, in submission to their husbands and just a godly example. That is that is that is uh, definitely a critical thing as well. But fathers, you have a unique role in your homes to make sure that this is going on, to to build this, to show your children, especially to show your sons, because sons will not just follow the example of their mothers because they will think that that spirituality and faithfulness is effeminate if they only see it in their moms. They need to see it in their fathers. They need to see it in you, dads. 
So if you needed a little kick, then let, let that be a little bit of a kick that you will be held to account for this. And, and we want to not just give you a kick, but we want to give some resources because this, this is hard and it's intimidating and, and it can be very difficult and awkward. And it, we can guarantee that it is going to be awkward when you try to start this. I'm glad you said that because I was I was thinking that when we first started, I had I never had really sung in front of you. Um, so that was something that we did not do together other than just in a community aspect at church. And so the idea of having my voice heard was very awkward and scary and something that was new for our relationship. And I don't have a good voice, so it wasn't anything to write home about. Um, but those are things that it's okay to be awkward because you're doing what the Bible tells you to do. Yeah, yeah. And More practice makes perfect. Awkwardness is not an excuse. You know, if there's plenty of things that you are awkward around your family. And, and if you try to avoid ever having awkwardness, uh, then you are just simply not being a family. You are not doing life together, even in the home, which is sadly the case for many. So, yeah, family worship is going to be difficult and awkward to try and start. And you're going to botch it. You're going to have times, especially with young children, times where you felt like the whole time you're trying to do anything in family worship is just fighting with the kids and you're stopping every couple of seconds to spank one kid or another one or take another one into timeout or it, it's just constant back and forth just trying to wrestle them down but it's worth it that that's not an excuse to not do it how do you think they will ever learn to listen to sit still to hear to realize okay this is important mom and dad are are willing day after day to go through this kind of hassle because they want me to learn this. Well, and because we just did um, a, a podcast on family integrated churches, it's the perfect time to say that this right here, do, training your children to sit through family worship is also training them to sit through a service at church. It's the perfect training ground. Yeah, this is, this is going to be the best way to, to prepare them for that. And you can start small with the small children. You can start with shorter times and just incrementally add that time to it to make it longer and longer. Um, but we've had family worship times that have gone 45 minutes before to an hour, depending on what we were reading during it. Um, we also have kids that range in ages. But I think that, you know, we could give them some tips that would help them as they're implementing family worship in their own home. No, definitely, definitely. So just at, at a most basic level, what you need for family worship is just the Bible. That's that's really all you need. So, you know, we talked about the three elements that are, are basic to family worship, to the reading of God's Word, the Bible does that, to praying together. Uh, if you don't know how to pray, you can pray through passage of Scripture in the Bible. Um, and, and singing. So you can go and sing Psalms or, or maybe there, you have a Bible that's got a little bit of a Psalter in the back, or, um, there's apps you can, if you want to just sing the Psalms straight, or you can, uh, bring other songs or hymns or things that you know too, but it is possible to sing just straight from scripture or to take verses. Uh, this is something that we've done a few different times and, um, things we don't typically want to sing in front of other people. We put a little bit of a tune to different Bible passages uh, to sing it with the kids, to try and, and teach some memorization 
to give them, you know, the Lord's Prayer, Psalm 23, um, the Shema Yisrael, you know, things like that, where teaching them some of these things and we put it to a little bit of a tune and it can be a bad tune. It can be lame, but if it helps them remember that is singing the word of God back to God in praise. So you really just need the Bible. Um, if you are looking for something to help you along with those songs, something like Seeds Family Worship, which I'll put a link to in the show notes, is a company that specifically puts out scripture put to music. A lot of YouTube channels actually put scripture to music. Uh, and the Gettys Family Hymn Sing CD, that's another one. Uh, someone we have just started to um, become familiar with is a guy named Brian Sauvey, who is a pastor, and he actually puts psalms to music as well. Uh, and you can find him on Spotify um, and stream his music. And we really enjoy playing that even as we get ready uh, for church in the mornings. But these are all just basic CDs or whatever you can get to just help you get moving in a direction on music. Yeah. And, and scripture mem- memorization. And some of the, you know, we mentioned last week, some of we do to try and help our congregation and our church with this is we have a hymn of the month that's printed on every weekly worship guide, along with some common prayer requests and um, a scripture, and of, scripture the month. of the month for memorization, some some study questions to, to review from the sermon that week. And a catechism question. And a catechism question. So these are, you know, we, we do things like that. And those elements are things that are easy to incorporate in your home. But we do that for our church because we want to make, we want to remove some of the barriers to starting, to doing this. So uh, anybody that had, well, if you're listening to us, clearly you have access to internet. So if you have access to internet, to finding lyrics and tunes for hymns is easy. Uh, YouTube, and I'm sure there's other places to get that, but you can find hymns that have the words on the screen as it's being done. So you might not be able to play guitar, you might not be able to carry a tune in a bucket, but can you put a YouTube video up on that TV of a, of a classic, solid, biblical hymn and sing along as the words go across the screen? I mean, it's the easiest karaoke you could imagine, and you can do that in your home. So that that there's no there can't be a barrier to why you can't sing with your family as part of family worship. Uh, you know, the, the catechisms, whether... You're a Baptist and you want to use Keech's Catechism or, you know, typically called the Baptist Catechism. There's there's a Catechism for Boys and Girls. There's the Westminster Longer and Shorter, the, the Heidelberg Catechism. There's, again, so many options out there. And you can find them all online or you can get some nice, um, so, you know, a soft cover or hard cover editions to have in your hand. But there are plenty of options out there to be able to work through and have an easy thing that doesn't even have to cost you anything to be able to ask some basic questions and, and bring up some subjects. Like, I don't know what to talk about. Well, then pick a catechism question of the week. Or if that's too much, pick one every other week and work through it and look up some scripture mem- some scripture references for it and build on that. So I'm just going to toss out there the fact that we actually have a recommended resources page on our website at reformfaithandfamily.com. And under that recommended resources page, we actually have a bunch of different categories. And the very first category is family worship. And if you click on that, you will actually see all of our recommendations of books and guides that we have actually used during our family worship. So our main guides that we use is obviously the Bible. We use Keech's Catechism. 
and we use the Valley of Vision, which is a book of Puritan prayers. And we use something that was written. I love this thing. I actually use this as well in my personal Bible study. But Joel Beakey's, uh, I'm going to butcher it. What is it? It's just the family worship guide. Just the family worship guide. Okay. And we have that book in that, we have all of these things in that recommended resources section of uh, that talks about specifically for family worship. But that book by Joel Beakey, the family worship guide, is basically a simple comp- commentary that's meant for use during family worship. So when you read a chapter in the Bible, then you just read his short little summarized commentary on that chapter that you just read with your family and then it ends with a question to get conversation going yeah and you know a very basic and and we have done this you know many times for family worship to read through a prayer and kind of pray that a a prayer from uh, the valley of vision you don't have to be completely original every time if you are if there's a barrier to you you don't know what to pray or how to pray um, get the valley of vision and and pray through some of these prayers because they are they are scripture saturated they are they are heart building and edifying kind of prayers um, to read just a chapter of a book of the Bible and you know I would recommend because I'm I love expositional preaching to go chapter by chapter through books of the Bible uh, read one chapter and then read that the family worship guide and read the commentary for that chapter It'd be like two or three paragraphs it's short. But in those two or three paragraphs, it'll take whatever that text is. Uh, and, and we've been reading in Hosea lately. So you can even get some very interesting texts about uh, a prophet of the Lord commanded to go and marry a woman of harlotry and have children that are not his children and all the things that go with that. Uh, As a mom, I was a bit surprised he chose Hosea <laughs> to go through. <laughs> you know, I just said we're going to go through the minor prophets and we started there. Um, but even in a book like that, You'll go through that that family worship guide, and it'll have a few paragraphs that'll point you to the gospel from there. And there are questions, uh, and multiple questions that'll be there as well to be able to ask the family to inspire conversation, because that's a good tool. So it, it as and as you develop, as you get more comfortable, you can come up with some of your own questions to make sure that that people are understanding that you you know as a, as a husband that your wife is understanding, as parents that your children are understanding. But just simply, you can have a, a guide to to give you prayers to pray together. You can read just straight from the Bible, have another guide that, that gives you a little bit of commentary, a little bit of kind of devotional aspect on there, uh, and then sing a hymn or, or sing, you know, sing some scripture that's been put to, to music. Uh, very, very simple. This is a low bar of entry. This does not take uh, a seminary education. This is not take you know someone who can write all their own music and do all those things it is a very simple thing to begin family worship and and realize that's going to look a little different at different stages of your life because when it looks different now with with um, a 14 year old and a and a 12 year old and 11 year old than it did um, when we just had like a two-year-old or younger well, we still have a two-year-old <laughs> we do have still a two-year-old but we also have older kids that engage much more, but when you only have a two-year-old, um, you're not asking them as many questions, and and maybe you start trying to catechize them and get them to memorize some things. But you know, when they're young, you're trying to teach them to be able to sit and listen and realize this is important to mommy and daddy. Well, the two-year-old actually does try and say the verses with the siblings, even though you can't understand anything he says. But he'll say God whenever God comes up. He'll, yes, he'll yes. yell God. Um, 
I do want to give a few tips for families who do have those really small children and are struggling with the awkwardness of trying to get started. And then in addition to that, have really squirmy kids who don't actually want to sit. Um, A few things that I've either read or tried myself is there's something for really tiny ones. There's something called blanket time where you can actually have a few toys out in a blanket and then you're training the child to sit within that square of a blanket. Um, And so you tell them your expectations. Think about a toddler. You're telling them your expectations before you sit them on there. You tell them what they're allowed to play with and where they're allowed to go. And then there is discipline if they go off of the blanket. Um, Maybe some warnings first and then some discipline. That is one option. Another option is to have like a busy box available that is only for family worship time. And when I say busy box, this is something that's quiet. Maybe it has some kinetic sand that they can just play with as they sit on the ground or sit at the table as they're listening. And that is only brought out at family worship time as something that the child can just quietly do. Again, we're talking small children because by the time the kids get up to four, five, six, really they can sit um, once you do, once you practice this a few times. Um, And then when you're talking about older kids and trying to get them to engage and not zone out, when you're reading the Bible, it is wonderful for the father to read the scripture, but also consider if this is something that works for your family, doing kind of a, what's called a round robin reading that we do in homeschool where Um, Each older kid can read a paragraph or a section of whatever scripture you're reading or book you're reading um, to give out, to um, delegate tasks that way. And I would encourage you to use this time to teach your children how to pray. Uh, We often let the children pray around the table before meals or during our family worship time to give them practice. And we even give them feedback on their prayers because we've had children who in their prayers, they'll just say, I hope or I wish something will happen. And we just try and explain that we're not wishing or hoping in our prayers. We're actually praying that the Lord would do something. Or saying, and Jesus is his name. Yes. (laughs) So (laughs) we say, no, we're praying in Jesus name and try to explain what that means. uh, Not just adding it as a tag at the end. Exactly. So these are just things that it's a good time when you're at home and everyone is in a safe environment with each other. You're not at church necessarily where a kid could be embarrassed if you correct him in his prayer. Um, That it's a good training ground is what I'll keep going back to, to be preparing your children for Sunday service, which is really what we should be doing all week long as we are looking towards celebrating the Lord's day on Sunday. And so we're preparing our hearts and our children and, and getting ready for that. Yeah. We're preparing ourselves for the gathering of the saints to worship our God, because there is something special and unique about corporate worship, even as we don't wait for that time to worship God. That we, we do that uh, as individuals, we do that as families in the home, because all of life is for Christ. All, all of us is for Christ, our whole life. Everything is meant to be an act of, of um, worship to our God. Uh, and that, that is not just Sunday, that is every day of the week. Um, so really, this is, this is a part of that and a part of building that. So I just want to leave you here. To, we're going to talk about this more. So this, this doesn't have to be, it's not meant to be exhaustive today. Um, I just want to leave you with just, uh, again, some resources and there'll be, as Lindsay said, on, on the website, there's a resource tab for family worship. Go look at that. Um, just to mention a few that, uh, 
Family Worship Guide by Joel Beakey, it really is a stellar resource to use daily as you go through chapters of the Bible with the family. It, it, it keeps things simple enough. It always points back to the gospel. It asks some really important questions uh, and sparks some conversation. And really now as our kids are getting older, when we have longer times of family worship, it's either because I decided to get up my notebook out so I got more options available to play music with a guitar, or it's because we've asked some of these good questions and it sparks conversation and they want to they know. It's not just giving, them giving the two-word answer, but they really try and dig into it more. So that that's just a great resource. Um, uh, Don Whitney has a really small little book on family worship that's helpful Again, we're going to recommend Family Driven Faith by Vody Bauckham. That was your homework last week. So if you haven't bought it or read it yet, you know, you're in trouble. And, and that, that book was really a place where reading it just because of um, learning other things in there. But then when you read and he's just saying, well, when you do family worship, because uh, the assumption was that if you are Christians, you are doing family worship. And sometimes that's a slap in the face that we need. That, that the expectation of what we should be doing if we're going to call ourselves Christians, uh, sometimes that's helpful. That's positive peer pressure from people that are, are living faithful lives uh, when we can realize that we're not. So that's obviously another really good resource. Um, and then there's a couple other books that if you want to know more about um, family worship or kind of get back into more of the history of things on there. Uh, Jason Halopoulos has a book called A Neglected Grace, or um, James si- or James Alexander that we mentioned in the cold open. He has a book on thoughts on family worship that are both really good, just to kind of fill in some more uh, pieces, you know, historical kind of things there. Or um, Richard Baxter, it's not directly on family worship, but Richard Baxter's A Godly Home is going to be a good resource. He's a Puritan. Yeah, that's that's going back to a Puritan um, to give a lot of just things and it really can be convicting about what our home should look like and how to try and build that kind of a, a godly home. Lindsay, was there anything else you wanted to add before we I think we covered it pretty well, but I do hope that these tips were really helpful for our listeners because I know that these were things that I just remember being stressed out early on and we felt it was awkward, but the Lord was very gracious and uh, he taught us what to do from his word. And we, we, we worked it out over time and feel very comfortable doing it now. So I do hope that for our listeners, they can feel that way too. And after a little while, you make yourself do it. You get over the awkward, you remove any excuse and any barrier to doing it. You do it for a little while. uh, And then on the day that you feel like you don't really want to, you're not feeling it, your kid will ask you, Daddy, should I go get the Bible so we can do family worship? And you're not going to be able to say no to that. Well, I'm going to say you'll know you've really arrived when you actually invite other people over to your home and have family worship with other people from your church or from your neighborhood. We've done that before, and it's actually quite fun. Yeah, it you know, you know, complete transparency. We don't haven't done that as much lately as we have in the past. Um, and part of that just is the way we got so many kids in a small dining room table, we kind of get split up when we eat and it just, you know, little, little excuses that we shouldn't let be excuses. Um, but that can be a, a really a good time and a sweet time with, with friends, with people. And a good church. way to be an example. If you've yeah. been doing it for a while and you're starting to feel more confident and you, you've really caught the vision for why family worship is important, then just leading by example, other people to see how it's done in your home can make them feel 
confident to go try themselves. Yes. Yes. And just want to encourage you guys that, uh, look to people that are, are further down the road than you are and that are going to encourage you towards the right things and be inspired by them. Don't compare yourself to them in, in a way just to, um, you know, heap condemnation on yourself, but be inspired by them rather than thinking that you're already doing more than so many other people and that you're okay. Uh, let's be, let's inspire one another towards greater faithfulness. Let, let's encourage one another to walk worthy of the call that Christ has placed on our lives. This is the Reformed Faith and Family Podcast.